0: Up next, on Episode 58 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss HTML encoding, designing safe by default, whether a question can be too simple, and the art of beta testing, from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of excited Windows 7 is getting traction, because I just, I want people to get off Windows XP. It's just, it's ridiculously old at this point. Yeah,
0: well, I'm
2: sorry, Vista was just unacceptable.
1: (laughs) I know, we covered that on, I think, podcast number one, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm Um, I'm here in the brave new
2: world of, like, Glass and Arrow and and, and all that kind of, whoa. If you if you take a window and shake it, all the other windows disappear. Did you know that? No. In I Windows 7, I I you haven't... grab a window by the title bar and, and shake it, and all yeah. other windows go away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to that happening. But
2: I, I think I have to wait for the I, final though,
1: because I don't want to deal with release candidate stuff. Um, okay, I here's wanted...
2: a, here's a question our listeners may know. I am thinking of doing this. Tell me what you think. Instead of because all of my installation problems are always around Visual Studio .NET Framework and all that crap, I'm thinking of just making a VM that has, you know, with VMware, a virtual machine that has Visual Studio installed in it, and that way I never have to deal with this BS again
1: ever. You can do that. I've been advocating that for a while now. I, I think it really? depends. Yeah, sure. I think it depends. You know how intensive your development environment is. I mean, if you're like, for example, on, on Stack Overflow, um, one of the things that's kind of intensive for us is that we tend to work with copies of the production database, which is getting kind of chunky now, <laughs> considering that the average backup for it is like four gigabytes yeah, with the SQL Server compression going. So, um, And just running that first query to, to get the database in memory, just the, the indexes and stuff, frequently times out on us now. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah, so if you were doing that in a virtual machine, that would be kind of painful because it hit the disk really hard and stuff like that, but um, I think for your average, you know, start a Visual Studio project and compile it, which is largely CPU intensive,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not so much disk, you should be okay. Because remember, you ran all those benchmarks, remember when you are looking at solid state drives? Sure, yeah. Um, and you, it just, it really depends how much disk is a bottleneck. You can, that's
2: a if thing that, if is, that really becomes the issue, you can always throw another hard drive in uh, your computer and make it a dedicated hard drive for the VM.
1: Yes. Yes. No. That's definitely the smart thing to do. I, I think what I'm getting at is, if you want to do a lot of VM stuff, what you have to look at is disk I/O stuff because that's what tends to get really expensive. It's really slow. Right. More right. so than memory or CPU or stuff Fair like enough. that. But no, I, virtual machines are great, and I think certainly gives you it's tons tempting. of portability. If you think yeah. about
2: what what a Visual Studio development environment does, it's like it messes with IIS. It messes. It it wants to install its own several versions of SQL Server, you know, in different right. places. Two or three, <laughs> it wants right. to put in various versions of the .NET framework in various places, and that is just yep. never like a happy thing. And yeah. um, you know, and then it's just sort of spewing stuff all over the registry, and not so you can find it either. It's all like under classes, and then there are these GUIDs, so you're not going to be able to find what it has done to the registry that is causing your system to be screwy.
1: Yeah, no, I, I've, I've I've had correspondence with developers that that set up their machines this way. Um, and certainly, I mean, we have just a ridiculous amount of power on the desktop. Sure. Yeah. I got eight uh, gigs now. and Yep. Yeah. So why not try it out? Sure. Okay. Um,
2: okay. Speaking so of I, databases, you promised me a copy of the uh, Stack Overflow uh,
1: database without the data. Yeah, we have that, actually. We have uh, the scripts that actually take everything out now. I just need to test that. So I, I actually have something on that. I just need to cool. test it. Before I'm going
2: it. to, uh, for our listeners... What do you think about this name, stackexchange.com? Hey, hey, hey.
1: Um, it's this witty. is for, so Joel's referring to the hosted version that of the Stack Overflow engine that Fog Creek is working on. Right. Um, it's an okay name. I wonder if we can come up with something a little bit more punchy. Maybe people listening would have ideas. But we just want a name for the underlying Stack Overflow technology.
2: Yeah, Jason told us it was a knowledge exchange, which uh, I, I nobody else uses that word, but what the hell, I like it. And, um, so, so the, so the product is a knowledge exchange server, I guess. And we want right. to have a, we want to allude at least to the, uh, original Stack Overflow. So, so the long version of the name might be something like the Stack Overflow Knowledge Exchange Server Hosted Edition, <laughs> my fault Creek product.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh. No, I like that name too. I just, I wonder, exchanges. I don't know I, I... I think, you know, naming is very hard. We've had this discussion it is. before. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, that's one of the reasons when, you know, Super User the came up, the, the idea that we could actually get Super User, although it was a little expensive, to me it was worth it, just because yeah. I really like the name, and it's I don't have to think about it anymore, which mm-hmm. is huge. Yep, so, yep. Yeah. yep, yep, yep.
2: Some, some of the names, like, I, I think one of the best names we ever picked for product was Copilot. Right. And, I, you know... It, yeah, Cabal, it's
1: a good name. Tyler so that's figured that solid. out, but we had
2: to have like a long brainstorming session before he came up with that one.
1: Yeah. So I, I think there might need to be a similar brainstorming session on the Stack Overflow hosted name. Because I I do think having a, a reasonably good name is important. I don't think it has to be perfect, but having the wrong name is bad. Some of these things um, like PHPBB, <laughs> like like yeah. the
2: language yeah. in which it's implemented is is three-fifths of the most important part of the name.
1: Well, yeah. And then, like, we've talked about, like, <laughs> test-driven development has, like, possibly a completely misleading name. Yeah, it know? serves them right. Yeah, so, yeah, the the name, and I mean, if you mis- get the wrong different. name, that's kind of a big deal, actually. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect, but just make sure it's not, like, really wrong or weird. That's probably what I'm thinking about. And, and Stack Exchange is, is close enough to that divide that I would want to think about it a little bit before proceeding. It's, it's not horrible, but...
2: It's, a, it's in the – you know, outside of New York City, and this is only outside of New York City, but anywhere else in the United States, there's a tendency of bagel stores to have cutesy names. Oh, God. <laughs> it's always it's either a bagel store or a store that sells sandwiches on bagels, and they always want to have, like, cute little names like, you know, something with a bagel in the name or, like, like there's one in the Hamptons called Twice Upon a Bagel. I don't even get that. Twice Upon a Bagel? What does that mean? <laughs>
1: Well the classic is like the backstores. I think there's like a Seinfeld skit about this. Backstores? You know, the the lumbar yard. <laughs> you know, backstores to so sell back items right. and then also of course hair salons. so sure. really punny. Really really punny. You tons. know the main affair things like that. So yeah, you can get punny which can get uh you know kind of unpleasant at some level. Like so yeah, if anyone listening has ideas on that or an opinion, uh, we would definitely love to hear it. So Joel, actually, I have a uh, something complimentary to say about you. I don't know if you'll remember this. This is a while ago, actually, mm-hmm. but we were talking about storing uh, values in the database that are ultimately displayed in HTML, and I mentioned that there were places where I was actually encoding things as HTML and then storing it in the database. Right. And you were like, no, 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 that's horribly wrong. Always wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always wrong, and then I was like, "No, I don't know if that's that's totally wrong." And and now I gotta tell you, you were totally right that that was uh, that was really wrong. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Because yes, yes, Take because we were actually. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. In retrospect, it's one of those things where I go back and like, "What was I? What was I thinking? Why? Why would I do this?" Um, but stuff like the user's display name and actually the post title. Mm-hmm. Now these are not large fields. These are not fields that it's particularly you know hugely important for them to be. Um, stored exactly the right way but it ends up being really inconvenient when stuff is encoded in the database and the reason that is is because sometimes you actually don't want HTML for whatever Mm -hmm. reason like you want the actual raw version and then it just gets weird because you never really know sort of what you have you know you end up having to unconvert it and then convert it to something else and you end up with double conversion issues and yeah yeah it gets really weird. You'd be surprised. You'd think, okay, what could it really hurt to have HTML stored in the database? And then it just gets so really awkward. I wouldn't awkward. think that. <laughs> but okay. Well, that's what I thought initially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it gets really awkward. So you were totally right about that. I think you, you want to have the raw version. Um, and I, I think what I was thinking was that this is actually more efficient. Well, for well, right. it, when it comes to the post title, um, there are cases because we display post title a bunch of places. And, and usually there's a shared function that's displaying the title. But not always. So it's actually a little tiny bit safer in that we, 99.9% of the time, 99.999% of the time, uh, we have an encoded version that we're working with. So in in undoing that, that was actually particularly painful because we had to be really, really careful. So wait, did you actually change
2: the database format now so that it's no longer? Yeah,
1: we did. I actually had to go in and there's a stored procedure that someone wrote that actually uh, gives you the ability in SQL Server to unconvert HTML as a proc, so I actually called that, and unconverted everything. Once I had fixed the code, um, and then and then we convert everything on the fly for these small fields, mm-hmm. which makes a lot more sense. Yeah, because
2: who knows? One of these days, somebody's going to make a version of Stack
1: Overflow that's not for HTML. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's certainly what it comes down to. Yeah, um, and the only the only there is one exception to that, which is that if you, if you want to store both versions. That can be okay, depending on what you're doing. Well, that's a matter of caching for speed, and then it's just a question of whether you
2: can get the addition, if if it's even worth it.
1: Yeah, right. And then we do that, for example, a post body, and that was definitely clearly the right decision there. It's like for the current version of a post, because we have revisions on posts where you can go in and edit over time, the latest revision is always – raw HTML. In other words, it's been pre-converted from Markdown. Mm -hmm. But we have both representations. In other words, I can get the HTML or I can go into the revision history for the current version and get the raw version. So that's okay. I mean, you can actually do, you can store both versions as long as you have good naming conventions so you don't get confused about which is which. Um, But yeah, you were totally right. And I was actually sort of cursing your name. I was like, God, Joel was right about this. I was like, this is a really bad idea. I don't know what I was thinking. All right, all right. Victory lap. Next. <laughs> exactly.
2: I mean, what's so, the? What's the? Let's put it this way. What's the? Um, what's the computer software engineering principle here?
1: Well, it's just precision. I mean, I think you were right about that. It's like you want to store it at the highest possible level of precision. Um, I'm sort of thinking like that, like, uh,
2: yeah. I mean, are, are there other are there other examples of this? I think that HTML is really. Yeah, you want to you want to store it with the greatest possible fidelity, basically.
1: Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to, and it's also a little bit simpler because you always know that you have the Mm -hmm. raw version. You don't have to think about okay, what version do I have?
2: Given the difficulty of converting HTML to anything else in a safe way or a reliable way, it's it's probably better to think of your data types. If your data type is a string, that should just be a string. It shouldn't be encoded in any unusual way. And so, if you're using a programming language where the default string type is in Unicode, which most modern programming languages well, many modern programming languages that's true then you shouldn't be thinking about UTF8 unless you have to write it out to a file or write it out in UTF8 and then well, you can right. worry about encoding it because otherwise sure. you're you're, you're going to be you're, you're just going to be making mistakes and, the, and and if you have a general rule that we always keep everything in as native a format as possible until the last minute when it needs to be converted for a specific application,
1: then you're probably
2: going to be safer.
1: Right, and then there's a lot of surprisingly subtle things even within HTML. Like, let me give you an example. So, like, say you want to output the title um, in HTML. Okay, that's fine. You call it HTML code. But if you're outputting the, the title of a post as the title, the actual title element in HTML. In the head. Yeah, yeah in the head. That has actually different encoding rules. Well, you can't use any HTML. tags in there at all. Well, that's right. You have to... In- Exactly. You have to treat it a little bit differently. Yeah. So that was one of the the situations I ran into specifically with title was that it got a little weird. And then when when you're encoding values in forms, Mm -hmm. in HTML, that's a kind of subtly different set of encoding rules, too. (laughs) One of the things that I found
2: that ASP.NET and ASP.NET MVC are remarkably inconsistent about is whether various properties, which are going to become eventually a part of an HTML page, should be provided in html or not so if you have uh if you're setting the i don't know like the the text property of a label in classic asb.net um i'm pretty sure that that one you can't put html in there it'll convert it to html for you or it'll escape it for you but there are situations where that's not the case and it's just hard to know which it's going to be, and that's just, um, that's you know, every single example of inconsistency in ASP.NET between whether the properties should be set with some HTML or set with, uh, um, you know, just a plain string and it'll be encoded for you, you know, is just a encoding error waiting to happen.
1: Well, that's, I think, more of a web forms thing. So now, mm-hmm. the problem we run into with MVC, with because it's more of a to-the-metal kind of framework, is that... You have to be, and and this is, I guess, sort of obvious at some level, but you have to be really careful when you're outputting data on the screen that the user has actually put into the system that you're encoding it, right? I mean, this is like cross-site scripting 101.
2: But you see, it, it is actually possible, it would be possible to develop a framework for programming the web in which it is almost impossible to make that mistake. Well, okay, this is what I'm getting at. And actually, I want to cover this
1: (laughs) because this is actually one of my major beefs with MVC, such as as it is. And it's not really ASP.NET MVC's fault. It's actually the the underlying view engine, the ASP.NET view engine. Of when you're using what they call the bee stings, which is, you know, uh less than percent, right? Where you sort of you're you're escaping mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. the world of static markup and into some dynamic variable that's gonna be output on the page. Mm-hmm. Well, the default for that is to just output it verbatim as is. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like horribly, horribly wrong. Because like you I always think, have to type server. HTML encode. Yeah, you always have to type server. Well, in, in actually, in MVC, it's HTML.encode, which is a little bit nicer of a synonym. HTML dot the code. Same thing. Yeah. Well, if you're
2: going to type it every time, make it E.
1: That's what I always well, do. I always define a function called E. E. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice.
1: What about A, B, and C?
2: No, E encode. Or E. <laughs> in code. And... Oh, well, of
1: course. E is code. It's the
2: most common thing to do. I want it to be one letter.
1: <laughs> right. So, so this is where I want to get a little political. It's like I, I yeah. have a... Based on the number of times, so like, so like the problem with this approach is all you have to do is forget to encode one, one time. One thing. Yep. One time. Mm-hmm. In one place in your entire application yep. that is ultimately data entered by a user, and you're totally owned. Like, I mean, totally owned. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's, it's almost like the bad old days of C where, like, if, if you have a pointer allocation right. that goes a little bit that you don't check in one place in your code. Like that's what they they're going to find. It. Yeah. It's almost like you're back in the bad old days of C. Exactly. And it there really is a solution like to this.
2: Somebody, actually, I'm not a super-duper excellent C-sharp lawyer, but in C++, there would be a solution for this, or in um, any any language that has, that's, that's type-safe and has automatic type conversions. Because mm-hmm. w- what you would do is you simply define de- declare that there are two kinds of strings, HTML strings and string strings. And unless something is an HTML string, it will get encoded whenever you pass it to any function expecting an HTML string, so you have a string, you pass it to some function that's going to output it. It needs an HTML string. It has to call the converter to convert from a string to an HTML string and it encodes it for you. Yes. And you can just use these things freely without ever worrying about it. And the, and, and if you ever happen to want to somehow inject some less thans into the actual HTML stream, because you have to, um, then you set a property like inner HTML, that's expecting a string, not an HTML string. Or um, you know, or, or you cast it, but but at least the the explicit operate you have to do an explicit operation when you want to unsafely put a put something
1: in the HTML.
2: and Everything else is safe.
1: I I totally agree with that, and that's kind of what I'm getting to here. Is that I think I, I know this would break a lot of the underlying assumptions and break a lot of the core programming, but I think it's it's hugely important. Particularly when it comes to MVC, because you're you're typically mm-hmm. down to the metal, like you're doing a B-sting and then equals, which means okay, I'm going to take this value and I'm just going to dump it into the page. Yep. A lot of people, me including, have maintained that that should be encoded by default. And if you want to unencode, like if you want raw values to be out to the output to the page, it should be a different convention. Yep. Like instead of equals, it should be like exclamation point. Yeah. You know, to indicate okay, this is dangerous. I'm going to output dangerous raw data to the page at this point. Right. And then at least like it's safe by default. Like there's this philosophy of that Microsoft finally adopted in their operating systems of, you know, doing everything in the safest possible way by default. Like turning off all the services you're not going to need. Um you know, and generally just not enabling things mm-hmm. by default. And this really falls under that philosophy is like it should. You know, it, it, it's much it's much harder to screw up when yeah. everything's encoded. And by forget default. the the what did you call it? Beasting? What? Yeah, I think they're called bee stings. Like I've heard them like for a, yes. well, um, yeah, that's a classic escape character. yeah. Ruby but, as well. But
2: forget that. Also, just assigning properties of things. You're assigning the text property or or something in in code on the code side, right? And sometimes I don't even know what the rules are. Sometimes you have to turn on or off this HTML encode bit. Sometimes you just put it in there.
1: All right, we've beat that one to. To death. Well, th- th- that's an um, that's an important one, though. I mean, I have really strong feelings about that, just yeah. based on the number yeah. of times like we have re- truly screwed up. It's like, never just fr-
2: look. It's never going to get fixed. <laughs> has to be the, It's yeah. going to have to be a new framework before this ever gets fixed.
1: Yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, um I, mean, I just I, I, every time I, every time it happens, I curse. And it's just it's just human nature. I mean, we just make mistakes. And I actually and
2: don't. I mean, I don't know of a lot of the more esoteric frameworks, but I don't know of a framework
1: that that is strict in that way, and then well, enforces. My understanding is, is, okay, so there, there's a couple things. Django, yeah. I believe, which is the Python framework, I believe has that encode by default type output. At least I was told that on Twitter, so mm-hmm. if it's wrong, then I, I can blame Twitter well, for that.
2: Well, you can't – I I won't – I mean, I'm happy to consider that as, okay, it's got the right default. But I want to go further and actually say it is using the type checker of the compiler to ensure that your code does not have cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, which can be well, done just using types if you have a a statically typed language. And that means no Python or Ruby. I'm sorry. You're just automatically (laughs) disqualified because your language isn't tightly, you know, type safe.
1: Well, I don't know. That that seems like it would be really performance intensive. I don't know. No,
2: no, no. What I'm describing all happens at compile time, right? Because it looks at the string and it says, oh, this is a string. I cannot possibly put it out into the HTML page because Uh it's a string and the HTML page needs an encoded string. So that's a type error, right? Expected okay. encoded string found a string. And it all happens at huh. compile time. It's not it's not it's not uh, it's 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 not inefficient at all. Oh, so there's some special data type for these Yeah, there's a different things. data type for strings that can be output to the page. It's a I class see. that derives some string, but you can't use a string in place because it's expecting an encoded string. Yeah. And it well, might so, have a built in something... conversion that does it for you automatically.
1: Yeah. Well something that dramatic might actually be called for. I mean, given that cross site scripting is, I think, easily the number one vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And it's a really serious vulnerability of hey, people a, it's the once... of
2: the of the twenty first century
1: yeah exactly and and yeah it's 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 a it's almost like an epidemic actually and <laughs> it, it really is and it's uh, it's this current state of affairs the current status quo is just really bad mm-hmm. so yeah i i think something that fundamental it sounds a little bit like boiling the ocean, but it actually might not be given mm. the, the depth of the problem right so yeah Anyway. All right, cool. What else
2: uh, what else have we got on the agenda? Well, we started a uh, logo contest
1: for superuser.com.
2: Oh yeah, and you did that on some some different different website
1: this time Is that just to just for Yeah. The yeah, diversity? well somebody from Crowdspring. Uh, I had heard of Crowdspring. It's uh, we prior to this we had used a site called 99designs.com which I was perfectly happy with. But I thought I would sort of spread the love a little bit and try Crowdspring out. Crowdspring. And see uh-huh. what kind of results we get there. But it's, it's a similar sort of experience in that you set up sort of a contest. And it, the one thing that's nice about CrowdSpring is they do have multiple awards set up. Because so you can based on the previous contest, us. I felt that was important that multiple people sort of win because they're investing their time. And right. a lot of times these logo contests, you know, it's 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 very subjective who wins anyway. <laughs> um, and you want to kind of reward the, the top N people. Mm-hmm. So we're explicitly able to do that on Crowdspring, which I do like. We have three awards set up. Uh, 768, 200, and
2: 200. How do I find this uh, contest on Crowdspring?
1: Uh, I link to it on the blog. I'll have to put it in the show notes, okay. but it's it's hopefully a, a web search would pick it up um, if you just do um, super user design logo contest. <laughs> That's my hope anyway. <laughs> oh, I see here. It's
2: It's got some long URL. It doesn't have a clever URL um creative brief hey my name is in there yep what what is this? is this i'm the <laughs> handsome one <laughs>
1: delete <laughs> delete a, uh, there i there don't know i was just trying to keep it fun and you Joel. people had to read all that text you know <sighs> huh. but he i was loves. just trying to explain i'm actually kind of excited about the user voice uh, excuse me user voice uh, super user site because i feel like this is going to be the site that that the average computer user is going to be most likely to be able to use. because mm-hmm. prior to this, you know uh, our our, pre- our previous sites were very narrow and focused, right? Like for programmers, we had Stack Overflow. and if you're a sysadmin or you know an IT pro, then you have server fault. But this is just sort of the average everyday computer enthusiast website. There's just mm-hmm. a lot more of those than there are programmers and you know, sysadmins. Plus there's a lot of crossover. people got I think got frustrated. They couldn't post just like random computer questions as sure. a programmer as a system admin. Um, so I, I think it's going to be fun, a fun site because it's going to it's going to almost be. People always say, "Well, why isn't there like an anything goes site?" And this is going to be as close as we ever get to that. It's still going to be. We may kind of regret it at some level. <laughs> but uh, super user is going to be fun, and and I think for the for the logo and the design contest. Um, it's almost a little bit like that anything goes philosophy. Like, I don't feel like we have to have a logo that matches our current design aesthetic. It could be some other crazy logo that we've never would have normally considered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little bit like an anything goes Wild West type of experience. And I'm kind of hoping the logo can kind of capture that feeling a little bit. Guns?
2: Um, <laughs> horses and guns
1: and. Well if it's like the internet it should be like people yelling Campfires. at each other. That's, you know, that's <laughs> two inevitable. people screaming at each other turning red. And lights. that's inevitably what it gets to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see. But I'm I'm excited about super user. Me too. So, yeah, we'll and then we'll have the trilogy. Running. That's all we're doing. Then we're done. Then we're stopping. <laughs> well, we're not done. I wouldn't say we're done, but certainly, I really did have a vision of like sort of the topics I wanted to cover with yeah. the engine, like that I personally wanted to see and I personally wanted to use. We had a couple now, others. We had the idea of
2: a system builder
1: one and a gamer one. Those were the other two that I could think of. But I think those could kind of fall under super user. I mean, sort they would of, yeah. be sort of subcultures that could exist yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that might. I be. mean, mm-hmm. you could always you could always get more narrow. I mean, we've talked about this before, where the more narrow you are, ultimately, the better. In the big scheme of things, but uh, it's sort of my hope that that those subcultures can live at super user and sort of. Or you could in. sign up for
2: Stack Exchange and just pay us hundred and twenty nine dollars a month and make your own gamer website.
1: Yeah, exactly. You could get it's ultra narrow. Yeah, using the hosted version, certainly. No, no, no. I'm I'm also excited about the hosted version because I do feel like, you know, you, you brought up the cooking one, and somebody actually we made reference to that cooking. Site. Yeah, we don't know where it is. but And then somebody found another one is that, that two I hadn't sites. <laughs> they were like, oh, I found it. I found that thing you were talking about. It's like, no, 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 that's not at all what I was talking about. That's something else. But it ends up being, it's related to us. Like in their about page, like they cite us and say that, you know, we're oh we're, we're heavily influenced by, you know, Stack Overflow, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So there's yet another one of these sites popping up. So right. the sites are truly popping up all over the place that are sort of influenced by the design that we put out there, which is, you know, hugely flattering um, but on the other hand, it, it indicates a clear need for these these narrow, narrow topics that we're not going to be able to get to, mm-hmm. like cooking or whatever. So I, there's clearly a need for this, and the sooner we can fill that need, I think the happier, the more options everybody has. They don't really have to use our stuff necessarily, but I like to think that our engine is the original flavor. <laughs> it's you the know, like reference the, implementation. Yeah, it's like the kernel's magic formula with the 13 spices and <laughs> delicious juices. And hopefully getting that out there will be you know satisfying to people in some way that they can actually use the original engine to do whatever they want um, for any topic that they think it's appropriate for. Because, gosh, the number yeah. of emails we've gotten is just truly astonishing on that. Yeah, well, we'll have a
2: placement to sign up as soon as my computer recovers. I was going to sit down and write a dumb little application because we're going to have the Stack Exchange thing or whatever we end up calling it. Um, I, I'm just trying to make a sign-up form on the web. That's all, the, you know. Just so we can start, you know, getting these people that are really anxious to make one. Um, the, the the service probably won't be available until I think I'm saying September first. Now, that should be possible. Um, okay.
1: Well, good. I would love for there to be like a public yeah. news page. Yeah, yeah I, tried I, a, I, exactly. I tried to make exactly. I
2: tried to make a uh, a sign-up page, and um, um, for people that want to at least sign up to get notified when it's ready, and and uh, you know, reserve a space in the first batch because we'll probably be limited in the capacity. And um, so I I, I designed all the HTML, and I was about to add the little form where you sign up, and I thought I'd do that in ASP.NET MVC, and then I had something was wrong with Visual Studio, and that's how I got into this three days of reinstalling my entire computer.
1: You should have gotten a Mac, Joel. Which we opened with. I just want to preemptively say that because I know somebody's going to be in the comments. You should have gotten a Mac.
2: Yeah, and that would have. Yep,
1: I should have. (laughs) Do you want to take a listener question? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, oh,
2: sure. Hi, Here, is this is...
1: Joel. My name is Joseph Steins. Uh, I wonder, uh, now that you have
0: the uh, jobs part of the site up and running, how do you think that will affect the character of the question and answer part of the site? In particular, uh, now, that you know, uh, now that users know that uh, future employers may be watching and may come back and review uh, their posts, how do you think that will affect the questions and answers and comments that are left on the site? And do you think that
1: uh, it will prevent people from asking newbie questions or uh, giving partial answers? Uh, thanks very much. Bye.
2: Do you have an opinion on that, Joel? Uh, I do. Uh, my opinion on that is that uh, I think it could could only be good, right? Like, I think To so. the extent that somebody says, uh "Oh, somebody, some future employer might see this," the you know it's going to cause people to be on their best behavior. I hope. Which yeah. they already I- are. You know, we have pretty good behavior on Stack Overflow relative to what you might expect a bunch of yeah well right because hidden. other users are watching and they're able to sort of rate your yeah you're going to get you're going to get but... voted on and stuff yeah. but even yeah. i mean even the comments on reddit are sometimes unbelievably immature or or just rude or obnoxious and you're going to lose a bunch of points but people still do it or maybe they make a throwaway account for that so yeah. and i th- i think actually uh, probably a lot of people are going to wind up with two stack overflow accounts one in which they're abusive <laughs> <laughs> or they post their stuff that they're not so proud of and one which represents, the you know,
1: what they want the world to see. You know, you know actually, I have seen that. But, you know, the problem with accounts like that is we tend to delete accounts like that. I'm just going <laughs> to warn you. <laughs> I really do. Because if if I see somebody that has just a history of posting just really annoying, aggravating Oh, you things, mean if they – yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I think that really they might be.
1: high on my list of deletions, believe me, and I will do that. So. Sure. <laughs> I don't want you to – I'm a little concerned because you're kind of encouraging people to create, like – Fun accounts to do stupid things, um, yeah. No, just just behave responsibly, and, and I, I think my whole rant on this comes down to the way people behave when they think nobody's watching versus the way people behave when they know people are watching, mm-hmm. right? And I would argue that any society or any system where you get behaviors as if everybody's anonymous and nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. are really broken systems. Like, it just never, nothing good comes of that. Sure. And, and and I think you have certain types of people that even if nobody's watching, they'll still kind of behave and do the right things. But I think that's a small minority of the overall population of people in the world. Um. And I think this goes back to like, and one thing I never really understood is like high school students and college students that sort of use Facebook and stuff and sort of post things that they don't, they wouldn't want the world to see. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of get themselves in trouble because it becomes visible through various mechanisms. I never really understood those behaviors. Because to me, the sooner you learn that you're sort of a citizen of the world in some greater sense. And it, it's okay to do some stupid things. But like you should never post anything that you wouldn't want. And I believe I – mean, did we say this in the podcast? Like as if your mother is there watching. right? Like everything you do. Yeah, I never heard that. That becomes public <laughs> in some way in the world. Like, you should be okay with your mom seeing this, right? Right. And it just astonished me. Like, that's such a simple rule, right? Don't, like, there's a rule on Wall Street.
2: Don't send any email that you don't want published on the front page of the Wall Street Journal.
1: Yes, exactly, Never. exactly. Just pick up exactly. the phone. It's so easy. If you want to say something that you're going to regret, <laughs> yeah. do it by phone. And I think there's ways, like, if you disagree with someone or if you're, you know, you're angry or you're, you're just trying to have fun, there's ways to do all this stuff and not make yourself well, I look think like idiot
2: there's, there's in the process. There there's also a non-abusive behavior, which is somebody might have some just slightly embarrassing newbie questions that they consider to be newbie questions or embarrassingly easy questions. And they might think, you know, this is get some somewhere, there's going to be some employer, potential employer looking at this, and they're just going to take it the wrong way. And it, it doesn't make sense. For me, I'm perfectly, just because I see that somebody is a newbie at some technology, you know, where they're asking a question. You know that mm-hmm. wouldn't that wouldn't lower them in my eyes. I mean, <clears throat> that wouldn't make me think that they're a worse programmer. It just means that they don't know this technology, this new technology, right? Or they they have a fundamental set of curiosities about yeah. the world. Maybe they're uh, trying. Maybe it's not, not what they're claiming to be an expert on. On the other hand, if you're if if somebody tells you they have eight years of C plus plus experience and you see them asking questions that don't even make sense within the framework of a C plus <laughs> plus programmer.
1: <laughs> That is true. I will say (laughs) you should avoid asking questions that other people look at and go, what, what, what are you asking? Like, yeah, this doesn't even compute. Like your question is nonsensical. That's bad. Right. Um, I will say that. But I mean. But go ahead and ask. And we do want we do want people to ask
2: the novice questions because we want to have the canonical answers. Like I am just trying to get drag and drop to work on an iPhone. How do I do that? I need a tutorial on drag and drop on the iPhone. And I'd love to have that stuff. Even if that stuff may be in TFM, I'd love to have that stuff on Stack Overflow, too.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you always say that. And I think I've seen some semi-abusive questions on Stack Overflow that that ask things that are just so simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, like, I'm learning the logo programming language, and I want to move my turtle simple. Yeah, but, okay. You you understand what I'm saying? Like, I've seen people. Yeah, but that's because there uh, are people who are going to go to the internet and type
2: how do I move my turtle in Logo?
1: <laughs> but okay,
2: and they want they want that. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, That's what All right. There, Well,
1: look, I mean, you're not on Stack Overflow as much as I'm on Stack Overflow. Uh, I, I think, think people have heard you say this, move and they've actually taken it to absurd lengths to prove a point. Um, and it can be done the wrong way. So I will say that we don't even we have should've... an answer to how to move a turtle and logo on our <laughs> website. You know, this is, this is, you know what's going to happen now, sadly. <laughs> like we've discussed some, I'm some asking it right now. person is going to decide that there has to be this question on Stack Overflow, how to move your logo turtle. So now I kind of regret having this conversation even, but my, my point is that it is possible to ask simple questions that I think are of low value. And it's possible to ask simple questions that are of high value. And it's all about, you know, how you ask. And, and sort of the amount of research you've done before you ask, like you know, one zero
2: zero three eight four one. You are wrong. It doesn't. It's not about the amount of research. I disagree. I disagree with that. If the question, the only research you have to do before you ask a question on Stack Overflow is make sure it's not already in Stack Overflow because I don't want a bunch of dupes because that's a problem. Yeah. But yeah. it, it just because the answer is on Google on some other website, I don't care because I want that traffic. I want the traffic coming to Stack Overflow where it's editable and it's a wiki and people vote on it. I don't just because there's an answer over on some sex change website. Don't care. I want the answer to okay. be on. And if the answer is in the documentation, but you don't understand it or it's incomprehensible, it is better for the answer yes. to be on Stack Overflow yes. because you no, can no, no, no. edit it. Like, and you can vote it up. So yes.
1: we want we want all knowledge.
2: Um, well, okay, I
1: think you hit on one of the key points there, though, so which is that you you, you you don't feel there's a good answer anywhere else. Like, I've certainly run into that myself. Like, no, I'm, I just the, said explicitly, even if there is a good answer somewhere else. Well, I, I don't entirely agree with that. I think if there's a good answer somewhere, somewhere else, you essentially quote it or link it. Yeah, but don't, don't uh. link it Qu- or, or quote it. Just, you
2: ask, well, ask the question on Stack Overflow, and then you find the answer somewhere else, answer it. Here too, you know, and, and you can edit that, but we're sort of like building an encyclopedia of, of 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 knowledge questions. I keep saying this, and an encyclopedia has to have an entry for cat, even though everybody knows what a cat is, and you can always find that in the dictionary.
1: Well, you know, that's I'm, not a reason I'm, not to have cat in your encyclopedia. Well, I think that that's too much of a purist approach. I mean, you have to realize we're a hybrid system. And I, I, I keep saying we this, are we are a hybrid system, true. but I don't want a hybrid. So, like, if if, if, if you take it too far down that avenue, it gets really weird. Why? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I well, do because care it. it's not really fun for the other people to answer oh, those questions. That's what it boils down to. It's because fun if a question somebody, is, it has no subtlety to it at all. It's like, what is one plus one? Right. That's not, that's not a question though. Oh, no, no, no. That's a question. Ugh. But you see what I'm saying? It's not really fun to answer because it's, there's no subtlety to it. It's, it's just, okay. It's too. especially fun to answer because it's so easy. Well, it's, it's too easy, though. I mean, there's, a, there's Dude, such a thing it up. easy to answer. It, it's all about the audience. Like, is it really fun for the other programmers to I consider? I don't care. Don't care.
2: Because we're, well, we're all okay. building an encyclopedia. Let me, let me be real explicit here. The, the, the attitude you're giving me is going dangerously close to the people on comp.line.c who no, refuse no, no, to no, answer no, no, a no. question because that same question was asked four and a half years ago. And why didn't you notice that it was asked then?
1: No, I know. I, that's that's not at all. I, I think you're mischaracterizing. they only want
2: my new things. On they only want complicated new things coming across. No, 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 I'm, no. I'm not, no, no, I'm no, not no. saying that you're saying that. I'm saying that you're going in that direction dangerously. Here, my question is one zero zero
1: three eight four one. One zero zero three eight four one. Whoa, <laughs> Richie Endel gets a point. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but you you asked the question, which is good. <laughs> But 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 since you're Joel Spolsky, you have influenced the question. Unfortunately, you should yep. have asked it as an anonymous user, and I think you would not have gotten such a happy reception. I would have gotten bashed, bashed bloody with a two by four. Yeah,
2: yeah beaten up so. by a gang. Let's uh, let's take a different. <gasps> let's all right. There are two possible approaches there. One is that all possible questions. I don't. You know what? I the, you could possibly come up with a question that's too easy, but. It's not going to be something like, you know, anything that somebody learning to program, learning a programming language might conceivably want to ask the Google in in the words that they would conceivably use is a legit question. If they're learning how to program and they just don't get what the open squiggly brace does, they're, they're trying to figure this out. They see these braces all over the place. They don't know what they do. They want to go ask, what does this little squiggly brace thing do in C? They're going to type that into the Google. I want to have the answer to that. I want to own that. And those, those questions are going to have a lot of traffic because the newbie questions are going to be the most common questions. And I want to have every possible shape, every different name for that squiggly brace thing. You know, I want to have all the different variations on that question as well because, you know, you never know what somebody types into Google and, and wants to find the answer to.
1: Well, my position is, is trying to be a little bit nicer to the people answering the question because those are the people actually doing the work essentially for you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like blogging. <clears throat> you want to write a blog post that's actually going to be interesting to the people that are reading it. In other words, as you write, you have to sort of be cognizant of the audience and like sort of satisfying the audience's need for exploration or understanding. Mm-hmm. And if it's such a simple question that, like, there's just one answer, you know, a canonical answer, it's impossible to have any subtlety or, just, or you know, partially right or partially wrong answers. Or, like, you know, programmers love, like, and, and this is typical in programming, there's a hundred different ways to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And none of them are exactly right. So you can sort of discuss like, well, sometimes you do this and sometimes you do this. And this is the the essence of being a professional programmer. It's like you have a chessboard and there's an infinity of moves. Okay, but I think there are lots
2: of programmers that are not nearly that sophisticated who can answer simple questions and would be happy to do so. And that would be fun for them. And they may be a little bit frustrated by how they they can never find enough questions to answer that they're capable of answering on Stack Overflow.
1: But to me, it's about fun. It's like what questions are really fun to answer, and, and to a certain extent, simple questions are fun. Like you said, because there's it's easy to knock them out. But if it's if it's it's possible for it to be too simple. I think there's, I'm there's trying a, to think
2: of what was it? What can you think of when you were learning how to program some technology? Not necessarily learning how to program, but just some specific language you were trying to learn or something. What what
1: what what really stupid question did you have that you just couldn't figure out? Oh. Well, the really the, the hardest questions I, I think to figure out when you're starting a new programming language are the ones where like it, it's the terms are so broad, so general, like what you're asking is hard to even put into words. Right. 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 Because it's it's so straightforward. It's like everybody else sort of figures it out immediately. Have you ever been stuck yeah. in like a video game? Like you're at a point in a video game where like, I don't know how to do X. It's just impossible.
2: I have to jump in some ridiculous way, I can't do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah.
1: and like you have to figure out like, okay, how do you even figure out how other people would be asking this. That becomes the real challenge. Right, it's not, right. okay, I'm stuck at X. It's like, how do I figure out how to even ask this oh, in a way that makes sense? I
2: can't remember. There's one video game, one game I played. I mean, it was it was like a 3D shooter, and the, the total amount of time that I spent on the game was probably something like 50 hours, of which 30 were spent trying to get past this one particular point.
1: Yeah, Man, and yeah. like I've been stuck in video games in ways that I don't think many people have, because but I, it'll be yeah, something that I didn't see, some door. Like, I just happened to miss. Like, it was just on the edge of the screen. I didn't oh, quite see it. I'll give you an example. I didn't even see this. I had a,
2: uh, uh, when I was learning how to program in C, I put a semicolon after the um, function declaration before the first um, open oh, squiggly yeah. brace. Because I just was like, oh, it's at the end of the line, errors. isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 I worked on that for hours before I finally had to show it to somebody. And they're like, oh, here's your problem. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a good example of show don't tell, right? Which you've always been talking about. So yeah. on on Stack Overflow, you would show. You'd say, well, here's the code." What do so I rather do? than talking about an abstract concept, right, so right, right. Like, what, well, what the hell did it next? Like, just show us the code. Like, shut up, we don't care. Just show us the code, and we'll tell you what you're doing wrong.
2: But sometimes you have. I mean, I think that there are real newbie questions that people do get stuck on for hours early oh, on. Oh,
1: I'm sure there are. And I'd l-
2: l- love to see those questions asked on Stack Overflow and answered.
1: Okay. Well, okay. I. I I, I, I believe the same thing, but I would have a caveat, a little asterisk there that would say, you know, <laughs> ask in a way that, that's interesting.
2: Jeff, this question is on fire. I've already got five points. Somebody's linked to it. I got uh, I got the complete uh, – oh, yeah, here's a complete back background. It's got the colors. Somebody's pasted in a whole tur- turtle graphics. Um, <laughs> this is nice. I like it. Check it out. Check it out. One, oh, oh. 3841. Let's take another listener question. Hi, Joe and Jeff. My name is Frank Krueger. I'm from Seattle, Washington. I have a question about finding beta testers for an application. Overall, I've thought out the user scenarios, but at the same time, I know that the application was created in a vacuum based upon my own personal desires and problems. So I have a question whether to do a... Uh, Uh, open call beta test or a closed call as in should i find a list of 50 people that i would love to have in the beta send them emails beg them to be in it or should i just start a blog and have an open call for testers keep up the great work bye-bye yeah well i think um uh uh frank that 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 you're uh if you don't already have a blog then then you probably don't really have any choice you're going to get the people that you can get uh you don't have a a really gigantic audience available to you um uh, immediately i mean you'd have to build that that audience so no matter what you're going to do i think you're probably um going to have to uh work pretty hard to to get beta testers and one thing to remember is that uh, maybe 1 in 10 beta testers that you sign up are actually going to be beta testers, probably even less nowadays. In other words, you're only going to get 1 in 10 people actually trying the thing out and, um, and so forth. So in order to get reasonable feedback on a first version of something, you're probably going to want to have at least 50 to 100 beta testers. Um, and there's an, there's an article on my website called Top 12 Tips for Running a Beta Test. 12andsoftware.com slash articles slash beta Uh I, I and, and in that one I said explicitly you, you don't want to have an open beta test. You can't have an unlimited number of beta testers. That that's not going to work. Also, when you do have the beta testers, you don't want to burn them all um, too quickly. A beta tester is going to give you one or two pieces of feedback, and then they're going to feel like they did their job, and they're not going to they're not going to send you any other any any further feedback. Um, so. If you have 100 really enthusiastic people that are really going to work with this thing and try it and send you some feedback, then you probably want to split them up over five, five different releases, give, give each release to 20 different people or 20 additional people. Uh, because otherwise, you know, all 100 will give you the same piece of feedback of something in your first beta test. When come t- time comes to the second beta test, um, you won't hear anything from, from anybody.
1: Yeah. Beta testing is sort of a, an art and, I'm personally really bad at it, so. (laughs) I mean, it's easy to to beta test your own application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as the developer, you're all invested in it. You know, it's it's you're kind of cheating. It's like your baby, so of course you're going to be invested in it. You also, it's really important. You have the curse of knowledge, as I keep saying, the curse of knowledge.
2: It's like my new thing to say. No, that's
1: true. It's true.
2: But you know, you you know how your application works. So so you just you're too focused on you don't you don't know what other people think about it because. You know how it works, and so it works great for you. And you can hardly believe it when they install it, and they can't even make it work, or they can't do the Macy. There was an there was an application that launched this week. Did you did you see this application from um, uh, what's her name, Katerina? Oh yeah, fake. I did. Hunch. Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, Katerina Fake, who created Flickr, um, made a website called Hunch.com, and I went there. Whoa, what is that? What was that sound? Did I do that?
1: <laughs> Podcast Bingo. Everybody
2: <laughs> fill that in. <laughs> Um, yeah, a good one. You go to hunch.com and it says, where is your home located in the
1: suburbs in a rural area in a city?
2: I, I don't get it. I don't get this website. It doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Well, isn't it sort of like 20 questions? Isn't it sort of harnessing... And then what happens? Know, 20 questions applied to questions you might actually have in the real world. But people have done that before and it never works. Well, it's an interesting idea. I mean, I'll give them credit. I, I, I'm intrigued by the idea. I'm not necessarily a huge fan. I'd give it 10 uh, minutes. I don't, I'm not sure I would actually be a user of the site, but it's a neat idea. I'm interested to see if it works or not. I, don't, I couldn't even figure it out. I went to the site and
2: I played with it for a long time and I couldn't even figure out what it was trying to do. And so well, that's the kind of thing that a beta test
1: <laughs> would show well, you. Well, yeah. That's the kind of thing that a beta test would tell you is like, can <laughs> other users even figure out what the hell it is you're doing? Right. You know, like, what does this mean? Do Why they would I use this? Find the core
2: pieces of functionality that you want them to be using.
1: Yeah. No, totally. I, and I think one thing you got to kind of watch out for, what, my, my initial piece of advice based on that question was, there's websites you can go to where a bunch of people just sit around and like, they love beta testing so much that they'll beta test anything. Oh, yeah, that's a good thing. That sounds yeah. like a good thing. Yeah, right, right. So you would go there and say, okay, I'm starting this project, it does this, and you'd have a built-in audience, right? But, I think our,
2: our our second best beta tester of City Desk of all times was this high school kid who, when I googled him, came up with an article from the Boston Globe about how he loves to beta test. This is his hobby, <laughs> and he got himself in the in a local newspaper because he beta tests so much. And he did. He came up with a long, good list of useful useful feedback.
1: Yeah. No, some of that can be good. And and then the one thing I do worry about though is is and. I, I, it it pains me to even say this because you're kind of turning on your users at this point. Mm-hmm. But you have certain users that are too invested in the app. Like, I don't know. There's a fine line. Like sometimes with Stack Overflow, I, I kinda want to say to people, it's like, okay, you need to stop you need to step back mm-hmm. <laughs> and realize that Stack Overflow is not a religion. You know, it's not like it's not. It's not a lifestyle, right? It, it, it's a site that's trying to solve a, a problem for programmers, right? Like, and it, it doesn't necessarily require that everybody using it be, you know, totally personally invested in it. Now, on the other hand, like, obviously, I encourage people to to enjoy and use the software, and I don't want to be the guy telling people, you know, don't enjoy it too much, right? Like, if you're having fun, then continue to have fun using Stack Overflow, but. Sometimes with, with, particularly when you go with open call to beta testers, you get people that are more interested in the concept than your application, right? They're, it, it, it's this weird dynamic, and I, I think you gotta be a little bit careful with some of the beta testers, like you, because I know some of the feedback we get on our user voice site, like I can't really do anything with it because it's such a narrow, like, desire. And I think John Skeet has actually even talked about this in, in some of his user voice postings. Was so like, we have to focus on the things that that feed the 90% of users that really don't care about our site. They're just there to get the answer and move on, right? Versus the 10% of people who are there all the time and and you know, obviously they're an important part of the audience, but they're they're 10% of the audience, mm-hmm. right? And I think with beta testers you can get into that where you're getting these these narrow, narrow users that are more interested in Their personal experience than sort of the average user would be. Right. They might be the early adopters. Yeah. Yeah. You get the early adopters who are, you know, very gung ho, but in ways that might be weird for that take your product and software in strange directions that wouldn't necessarily feed the average user. So I think you have to kind of put on your glasses of like, does this feedback fit? what we believe to be the average user's reaction is going to be, unless you can actually get average users. Now, on Stack Overflow, we have a huge number of users now. So we can sort of look at the data and say, okay, this is what people say, and this is what people actually do, right, mm-hmm. as, as as a mass, as a whole. And then we have to have sort of heavily weight the the numbers uh, based on what's actually happening on the site versus the feedback that we're getting. And, and certainly when you start out in an early... Beta, you're gonna have this disconnect because you don't have a massive users. You just have these really gung ho hardcore users that, you know, you what they say is what you kind of have to believe because you don't have enough data to go
2: on. Right. Yeah. One point oh's are hard. Two point That's it. It's just it becomes very path dependent. And if you're lucky, then then you've you've started to go down a path with your design and your audience that can snowball into something large and successful. <clears throat> but it's also possible that you've accidentally picked up. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a general way to put this, but sometimes you just accidentally pick up a particular niche that has their very very specific needs for their niche, and you cater to them because you're they're the, they're your users they're the people who are paying you, and you somehow build this product that's awesome for this tiny niche, and you just accidentally miss this gigantic market that's right next to your niche, but which you aren't catering to. Can't think of a good example of that, but anyway, <laughs> sure Joel sure whatever <laughs> now what would be i mean what would be an example uh, you know example of, of that would be um you know we 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 never uh fogbugs is 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 a product that 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 we created for managing software projects that's used by software developers and you can imagine another product that does exactly the same thing that's used by building managers to 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 keep track of all of the repairs that need to be done in the building right and and it's the same kind of thing you keep track of repairs you assign them to people to do You know, maybe the person who's in charge of you know keeping the infrastructure of a large campus operating would want a database that's much like a bug tracking database. You know, there's a pipe that burst in such and such a place, or somebody needs to paint this thing because the paint is chipping, and a bug tracking database would be perfect for that. But our 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 product isn't really made for that market, right? I see. So it's like a building bug tracker. Yeah, building bug tracker. You have bugs in your building. Exactly, and that building literally,
1: you have bugs in your building. Right, it could be (laughs) bugs. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It <laughs> could be cockroaches, and and that guy is not going to know to look for a bug tracker, even though it would work for for, for them. They're going to look for a building management information system tracker, m- m- call it thingamajiggy, if they even have such a thing. And um, you know, it's conceivable that we could have you know had a few people like that in our beta test, and and started to cater to them and make a great
1: product for them, uh, and advertise yes, to them. Yes. And it's basically a small sample size problem, right? Is right. that essentially what it is? Yeah. Exactly.
2: And then, and 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 who's to tell you today whether there's a bigger market for building bug trackers versus software bug trackers? I don't even know. But you know, we went down that one particular path. We might have gone down that other path, and then we'd be just totally stuck there, just like we're stuck where we are right now. You know? Yeah. You can always do. Have you guys thing. actually
1: started to go in that direction with with building bug trackers? Bugs? No. no. I we've... mean, are you trying to market it to sort of non? Nope. Software, okay. So, Will you haven't? This is completely
2: theoretical, then. This is well, no, I'm just saying maybe we went down the wrong path. Maybe this, maybe it's more useful to use this as a you know, making a movie uh-huh. software and you could charge more money well, for it. But you guys or, have
1: the hosted fog bugs. Does anyone take hosted fog bugs and do stuff like this with it?
2: I, I, they might. I don't know. I don't really know. I, nobody's really come to us and said this is what we, yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't hear from those people and we don't really cater to them when they do ask for certain things
1: that's well, because maybe that's impossible. Maybe it, when you're if you're generalizing like that, you can't right. you can't ever satisfy a niche. It's not possible. Well, I'll give you a better example. There are a lot of people that try to use fogbooks to do what
2: Salesforce does because Salesforce is so expensive and presumably crappy as well. And <laughs> and um and it doesn't do all the things that Salesforce does by any stretch of the imagination. And so they keep yeah. asking for features that are like right out of Salesforce. That's, and we tend to turn them down because we're trying to make it. you know, yes. that, that's never the most important feature for a software developer. But, you know, right. the, the, maybe s- s- selling to salespeople would be a much, much larger market than selling to software developers. Or maybe well, this not.
1: Always, well, I think this is why you guys will be good at developing the hosted uh, stack stack overflow. Because one of my deep, deep concerns with doing that, one of the reasons I didn't want to do it personally, was because I felt like you would be pulled in all these crazy directions. Because you would have all these verticals. Right People trying to do these vertical things like, "Oh, I have a cooking uh, stack overflow," or you know, "Oh, I have the building stack overflow yeah um, and like they would want all these things that were very incompatible you know that, that fed their vertical need but didn't feed the the core engine, and it's like how do you balance that? And it sounds like you guys haven't even tried to do that on on the the, the hosted fogbug side at all, and I can understand why because it's really hard. Hmm. I mean, if you serve everybody, yeah. you serve nobody, right? I mean, this is a classic problem. It's like if you're trying to solve everybody's problem, yep. you're going to come up with something so general that it's just going to suck. For and like and they're not going to know to look
2: for it. They're like, I need a bug tracker. And you're like, oh, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for an, an open issue database. They're like, no, I want a bug tracker. <laughs> it's like, look for open issue databases and you'll find it. The, the people have to know that a category exists before they will type it into Google and, and buy the product. Yeah, and and if you try to make something that's too general that solves everybody's issues and tracks them, uh, you're not really serving anybody. Well, that's
1: like the classic okay content management system, which is one of my favorite buzzwords that doesn't actually mean anything. It's like, what do these things things. do? It's like, it's like you end up with okay. Let me just tell you guys what happens at the end of this road is Lotus Notes. I'm just warning you, (laughs) (laughs) right? And like, you don't want to go there, right? That's like the dark place. People made billions. People made billions. Oh, yeah, you could make billions, but your soul will be sold to the devil in the process, I'm just telling you.
2: <laughs> Not, so, well, yeah. yeah,
1: make billions and be very, very unhappy, I guess.
2: When when we made CityDesk, and I would tell people that it was a content management system, it was desktop content management, a lot of people thought that it was document management, which, which is like you scan in all your contracts and you all have them instead of it. It's like an electronic version of a file cabinet. Mm-hmm. that's what they thought that that was and it turns out that there was actually this little industry called content management that were making products like that and for for, for most people for most of us on the web we thought it was like a web content management system that generates and manages the content for a website but some people thought, some people got it confused with asset management and it's just real hard when you try to do the generic things and, and you can do all of the all the verticals into separately if you really want to. But then the next question becomes how do you even market to those people? And so the reason that we don't try to make a system for building managers is we have no idea how to reach them. We do know how to reach software developers because they're already our audience. And right. so, you know, I've long since learned not to not not to try to fight that. I'm not going to make a product for web designers or, you know, whatever. I, I can make a product for software developers and they, they will they, – they're, they're listening. They're reading my blog and they're listening to the, this podcast and –
1: uh, and well, do it. I, I'm I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with this hosted version because I don't think you have that tight control of the audience anymore. No, but but uh, I, you know, th- true. I th- I still think what we're going to
2: get is sort of software e software e things. Yeah, we're yeah, not going to well, get none we'll of those see. people who are making macrame on Etsy are ever going to install this themselves. They might have a programmer
1: who they uh-huh. get to do it. Okay. Well, before we before we finish up, that was a great discussion. By the way, I enjoyed that question. So thank you for sending that one in. Yeah. Um. I do want to cover one particular Stack Overflow question that's really a cool one, and yeah. maybe I'll just give the link. It's called uh, Twitter Image Encoding Challenge, and it's eight nine one six four three. And this is by uh, Brian Campbell, and this is a really neat question that Brian set up. He basically set up a little contest, and I'll give you sort of the the, the Reader's Digest version. Whoa. Um. There's in no one hundred and forty in, in one hundred and forty characters how much of an image can you encode in any encoding method you want okay. You have 140 characters yep. come up with the best possible image encoding for say the mona lisa and he's got a really nice format he's got the images this is a really nice post and it, i think it captured a lot of the imaginations of at least some people wow um, yeah it's fun so uh, we probably Whoa. don't need to go into too much detail on the podcast because we're kind of at the end some but of these are pretty good yeah, it's really fun. It's a it's a perfect programmery thing. It's awesome. So all right, let's vote up. Yeah, check Twitter it out. Image it and has one hundred eighty-three upvotes and one hundred sixty-five stars, so it's obviously a popular <laughs>
2: question. Yeah, so they're basically they're allowing uh, he's he's allowing Unicode here, which gets you two bytes and which doubles your bytes. so You get really two hundred eighty mm-hmm. bytes, more or less.
1: Um,
2: yeah, it, it's a fun it's a fun one.
1: I encourage everybody to check it out. Well, John, right. you want
2: to send us out? Yes, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna send us out with. Uh, uh, let's see if I can figure this out. Somebody, <laughs> what, what what was it that <laughs> that you you told me to do? And I went there and I found a, a little just a picture of a Mexican. Boxer oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: oh, gosh. GordoFufus.net. Yeah,
2: yeah. What was I trying to do when I got to Gordo.Fufus? We were
1: looking at it, pool.ntp.org, and we happened to get – you happened to get that one time server, and it, these oh. guys have emailed me, and actually he found Gordo, whoever it is. I can't quite tell what's going on. I can't either, but they made that. a song for us. They made a song for us, and they have all these utilities, and they're, they're totally into it. It's It's very, very – which
2: I will play us out with the song. Oh. Um, but until that happens, the, uh, if you have any questions that you'd like to hear us answer in a future podcast episode, please call the Stack Overflow podcast hotline. The number is 646-826-3879. That's in the United States, of course. And also you can record an MP3 or OG Vorbis File and email it to questions. No, stop. Email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. That's podcast at stackoverflow.com Try to keep it under 90 seconds or less. Uh, and um, please tell us how to spell your name, right? There's a transcript wiki where people, uh, wherein people type the transcripts of the parts that they like of this podcast. And if everybody types a little bit, then the whole thing gets recorded for the benefit of the hearing impaired. That will be linked to from the show notes, which are, as always, at blog.stackoverflow.com. See you next week. See you next week.
1: This one goes out of time to kill my baby ass the Network of Time protocol. I got your NTP, Daddy. I got your backup now. So you want to pick an NTP server that's more off the beaten trail.
2: This is redirecting you to a website called gordo.pupis.net and it's got a picture of a Mexican boxer. You're
1: lying pool.ntp.org project to virtual flexible time servers.
2: I guess meaningful.
0: Am
2: I attack? Yes. This is redirecting me to a website called border.pupis.net and it's got a picture of a Mexican boxer.
1: That was just annoying, but that's a
0: good one.
2: Am I attack? Yes. No, I'm not. trying to Type it. No, U.S. top cooler.ntp.org Am I under attack? Yes. Lying. You're lying. It's not better about people's.net. This is redirecting you to a website called Bordo.tupus.net, and it's got a picture of a Mexican
1: boxer. You're lying. So you want to pick an NTP server that's more off the beaten trail.
2: Oh, no, <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's ridiculous.
2: This one goes out all Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. US.tupus.ntp.org this is redirecting me to a website called gordo.supis.net and it's got a picture of a Mexican boxer.
0: Straight down the drain.
1: That was just an annoyance, but that's a good one.
0: You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of The Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.